And so I prepared myself to take my life. And as I was about to engage in this process that would have been a termination of me, my body, I was yanked out of my body. Some part of me, some essential part was yanked out and I went right into this portal of light. My guest today is Kevin Jeffers. Welcome to the show, Kevin. How are you? Hey, Rod. Thanks for having me be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thanks for reaching out too. So I understand that you had an NDE some time ago and you've had a number of other uh, experiences as well. So would you like to give us a little bit of background and tell us what happened? Before I jump into the uh, near-death experience, I would say that I've been experiencing unusual things ever since I was a young child. And that regard, I was, uh, I would see energy forms when I was, I have a remembrance when I was five of seeing uh, very colorful geometric forms shaping in front of me when I would go to sleep at night, just before I, just, just before I went to sleep. And it was entertaining as a five-year-old, just move your hands around and everything, all these uh, geometric shapes were, would take whatever form that I was uh, doing with my hand. And then I realized that something unusual was going, but I didn't know that until I got older. You know, when you're young, you just don't think about these things. They occur and then that's that. Yeah, you think what, everything's normal when you're young, don't you? Like, it doesn't matter what yeah. it is because you've got nothing to compare it to. You don't think it's not normal. Definitely. And plus, it had the benefit of keeping me quiet, so my mom didn't yell at me. So this, this went on for a while, and then it's like I hit a pause in seeing energy. I call it seeing energy. In hindsight, looking back over my life, I said, well, definitely you were seeing energy shapes. You were seeing energy. I took a pause as I went through, uh, you know, elementary school, high school, and then it started again. When I was in college, I started seeing these forms again, but they were more articulated. I'd be talking to one of somebody, a friend or an instructor, and a massive cloud of color would come between us and is I experienced this more and more, I began to realize that the color had significance and meaning and was later I found out, well, that's an aura. But in the, but at that time I just said, wow, that's really a cool color. And I went to art school. So I would draw all this stuff out and add color and do this, do that. And that went on. And then I joined a group called the ARE, the Association of Research and Enlightenment out of Virginia Beach, the Edgar Casey people. And we had uh, meditations, weekly meditations, discussions about uh, extraordinary things. And I met a guy who was doing past life regressions. Now, in those days, there were no past life regression hypnotists. There were hypnotists who tried to have people experience a past life, but they were, they were very much in the minority. So I thought that was very interesting. That was good. And then I went to visit him, laid down on his couch, and he went into his uh, hypnotic routine, which in, in his version was a countdown backwards from 100. So I was going 100, 99, 98, and by the time I hit 92, I was gone. I felt myself lifting out of my body, went through the 
the, his roof, the, the ceiling and out through the roof. And then fast forwarded to a location that I thought, well, this is just interesting. But then suddenly I was in, I was on a ship and the ship was full of Vikings. And the Vikings were approaching a battle with more Vikings and uh, probably know from history, Vikings were not a, not a very sociable, nonviolent society. Everything was about plunder and so on and so on. But I was very young. I was about 17 years old. I knew that at the time I was very young and my brother was the captain of the ship, my current brother. So he sends me on top of the mast. Uh, he said, well, be the lookout, but you know, I understood that it was stay out of trouble and get out of the way, go up the mast. No, I was going to split your skull up there. So I was watching the battle and having a great time. And, and remember, this is all in the regression that I'm experiencing this vivid, extraordinary time. And then I felt a thump in my chest and it was a spear. And I looked over and I said, that's a problem and died. So I've always had a birthmark on my chest and I went to the hospital and I said, now, is this a birthmark or is this an indication of a bigger problem? And the doctor was very concerned because it had some kind of shape or color or whatever they look at. Said, let's take an x-ray. And they went in and we did a male mammogram. In those days, it was x-rays. There were no, there was nothing else. And um, he said, no, that's a birthmark. Don't worry, you don't have cancer. So I had the birthmark, I still have it. It's exactly in that spot where I, re where I recreated that life or experienced that life, depending on how you look at it. And uh, I use that for myself as a bit of evidence that either I dreamed up this extraordinary event, remember it's the, it's the first time I've done this, so I was in a high state of doubt. And then I just kind of settled into it and I said, okay, well, that's a past life. And then I went back to see the hypnotist a couple of times. I experienced different things, different lifetimes. Uh, one time I went with a girlfriend and it turned out we had had this wild, hot relationship in the French period during the 1700s. She liked that. I thought it was a little too much, but anyhow, this, this would continue, continue. And then I took a trip. I just felt this impulse. And at 18 years old, you, you don't want to hang out around the house. So I went to Greece and I felt this strong attraction to Crete, the island of Crete. And while I was there, I looked around, I saw things. And then I, I felt this impulse to go to this place that I always knew was called the Prince's Palace. And I didn't even know there was a Prince's Palace, but sure enough, I, someone, I talked with someone, I said, yeah, it's down the road there. So I walked down the road, it was a couple hour walk and I was walking with a friend of mine and trying to figure out how I'm going to find this place because I know it's there. The closer I get to it, the more I become aware of having an affinity for that place. And we get to a split in the road. One road goes straight to the left. The other one is a zigzag up the mountain and I, I just transitioned to a different place where I was a child in a car driven by an ox with my grandfather. And we were going to the city and the city was up the hill. So I said to my friend, I said, I'm, let's go up the hill. He said, no, 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 that's not the way. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll meet you there. 
So I went to the switchback road, went to the, over the hill, and there was the ruins of the city. And I explored it. And I, a lot of emotions running through me at the time. And I went to the, the queen's chamber. It's there. It's made out of alabaster. It has some, some artwork, some frescoes up on the wall. And I felt very sad. And I took a piece of rock and put it in my backpack. And I wouldn't do that these days, but in those days I was just 17, 18. I didn't know any better. It's just a little piece, throw it in the backpack. Took it back home after many more months of travel through Turkey and experiencing these incredible memories. And then I went back home. Home was in Chicago. I was living with my mother at the time. My sister was there. My brother was there. My sister introduced the mother of a friend of hers who said she was a psychic. And I had never met a psychic. I didn't know what a psychic was. I, you know, they just like got transmissions from somewhere and new stuff. So I, I thought that was fascinating. So we're sitting, she came over, she wanted to speak with me because she had her, she had her reasons. I didn't know what they were. She said, oh, I heard you have a rock from Greece. I said, yeah, I have one of those. So I went out and I got it and I brought it back and it's this white alabaster. It's really a, a nondescript white stone. And she said, do you mind if I do a psychometric reading? So I, had, I looked at her and I said, come on, what's a psychometric reading? She said, it's when you hold a stone and it starts, you pick up the vibrations. And now it's getting strange for me. I mean, I could see energy, but I didn't know about this vibration stuff. So she was holding the rock and we were all quiet, waiting for stuff to happen and stuff did happen. We're in the kitchen in Chicago. They have the double doors because it snows a lot there, very cold. The outer door opened and it's one of these, uh, sprocket doors that's supposed to stay closed, but it opened and it stayed open. And then the inside door, which had been locked, that opened up too. Oh, and we're like, like five people in shock. How did that door open? Two doors that opened up. And then this cloud came in and it was just extraordinary because you knew a presence was in that room. And then the psychic is kind of like concentrating. So I'm talking to her and I said, who's her? This woman came with the rock to ask your forgiveness. I said, I don't know any ghosts. She said, no, you had a relationship with this person when the prince's palace burnt down of which she was responsible for the fire. You went to retrieve her and died. So she's come back to ask you for forgiveness. And I'm a little bit of shock myself. So I said, okay, forgiven. Let's go. You know, enough is enough. And then suddenly this, the smell of lilac came into the room. It was incredibly dense and intense. And I said, okay. I, you know, I really felt bad about this. If this was a true story, I said, I felt bad about it. I said, okay, you're forgiven. Let it go, go. And then the presence went out of the room and the inside door slammed closed and the outside door slammed closed. And we're like back to normal, except for this lilac smell. So I looked at everyone and I said, you know, I'm smelling lilacs right now. And they said, yeah, we can smell that too. 
there were no lilacs in Rome. It's in the middle of the winter. There's no like lilac plants. And that smell continued in the house for about a week for me. And I would go to this place in the house. It would follow me. And then I'd go to the next one and would, the smell would follow me. And being young and, and kind of embarrassed about these things, one time I was going to the bathroom and the smell came and I said, okay, okay, you're, you're forgiven. Everything is good. I want some privacy when I go to the restroom. Can you just go? And it was kind of like this sigh and then the smell was gone. The presence was gone. And I never had that experience again. So that's like a wake up call. This is really real intense stuff. And then after that, so I just started not so much hearing things, but knowing things. It was like, uh, it, something would run through my mind and I started hearing things. And that was interesting because I don't know, maybe that age, everything is interesting. And that went on for a while. And, um, the lady who I'd met, who did the, who was the psychic did the psychometric readings was a healer, a traditional healer, Christian healer. And she wanted to teach me how to heal. And I thought that was a good deal because people benefit from a healing. If it actually occurred, I was good for it. So she spent a couple of years training me on healing, uh, inflow of energy, using spiritual energy to heal a person. She taught me how that worked. And then I went out and I started doing that myself. And, um, finally just ended up giving classes. I think I was about 30, 31 years old and I was having a class, 30, 40, 50 people. We would talk about these kinds of things. We'd talk about healing and it was all interesting. And until finally, I just decided it was interfering with my life. So I cut the classes out and I thought that was the end of it. Well, it wasn't the end of it. I'm, I've always been kind of a business minded person. Um, I own a number of companies that I started, I'm inclined in that direction, but all my degrees are in art and sculpture and painting, drawing and all these kinds of things. So it was kind of like a balance, big reader. And I started reading more and more about spiritual things, psychic things, uh, the old, uh, like the theosophics. The Esophical Society, Rudolf Steiner, um, Andrew, Andrew Ford. And it was just like an accumulation of data that went on and on and on. And then one of my businesses failed and it was actually my key business. And like overnight I was broke and I had a family and I had kids and I got just depressed and more depressed. And it was like that circumstance was pointing to me and saying, you're a failure. You're terrible. You lost all your money. And I was feeling worse and worse and worse. And I really didn't understand the, the effects of depression on your self-confidence and your life view. And I wanted to end it. I wanted to end my life. I was tired of the depression. It was just, hmm. it was too much. So I got to the point where I was going to end it, end my life. And I think when you're in a, when you're in that stage of depression, you're really not thinking things through clearly. You're just enough is enough. And I didn't have medication. We didn't know about medication at that time. 
And so I prepared myself to take my life. And as I was about to engage in this process, that would have been a termination of me, my body, I was yanked out of my body. Some part of me, some essential part was yanked out. And I went right into this portal of light. And in those days, there were no tunnels. And there were no entryways. And there, at least for me, there was nothing. It was just a portal of light. And I got right up and got to look inside what's on the other side of the light. And it was beautiful, colorful, vibrant. People were having a good time. I was not having a good time, but they were having a good time. And then this bright white figure stepped in front of me and held out, held out her hand. It was, it was a she, a female, held out her hand. It kind of pushed me on the chest and I went slammed right back into my body. Now, the interesting of, of effect of that was the depression was gone. The self-doubt was gone. The resolution to continue was there. And I never had that experience again. Wow. It terminated it right there on the spot. So even in the worst circumstances and the most difficult in, the, in my business and my personal life, I never had that depression come back, which was a relief because it's, it's not, it's not good. Depression is not good. And, and I have no interest in doing anything as radical as ending my own life. That just went out the door, never came back again. So my life went on and, and I just, the intensity of the healings and the seeing things and the experiencing things increased. And I'd be, I'd feel this impulse to go to some city like Rome is a good example. I just knew that I had died in the Colosseum as, a, as an early Christian. And I went there and I could see it all again. I could see when it happened. I could see people being killed. I could, and then I reached the point where I saw myself being killed by a lion. Oh. And I was with my sister, my current sister, who got scooped up with me. And she died and I died. And... Um, it's just all very, very emotional, very dramatic thing. But then the impulse was released when I re-experienced the event. And I've traveled all over the world many, many times. Um, spent a lot of time in Asia, 30 some years in Asia. And everywhere that I would go, I'd feel this impulse to go was like what I would call a recovery of some aspect of myself. And I didn't know what that was about, but now I know that when we die, we pass on, we leave an energy, we leave some part of ourselves behind in our physical bodies. And I would collect that missing part and I would pull it back into my energy field. And every time I did that, the impulse to go that place was ended, but then I would feel myself more complete. And I've done this for a long, long time, been to many places. And uh, now I'm kind of at the end of the road and I'm realizing, well, I pretty much have gone everywhere I wanted to go. I've got a couple more places I want to go, but that's it. And I wrote that into the book, some of those experiences. I wrote a healing experience into the book. Uh, initially, it started out with this thing I call the pattern, 
which is an experience of higher levels of consciousness. And it's in a sense somewhat boring because everything is good. The spiritual life is a good life. The spiritual life is an all-knowing present moment of now. So my editor said to me, well, Kevin, you better put in some of your personal experiences or people are going to read your book and fall asleep. I said, okay. And then remembering and writing it down was very difficult for me because I don't like talking about myself. I learned to. So I wrote down, I just went back to my notes, things that I've experienced, meditations, energetic exchanges, and started putting them into the book, a couple of healing experiences. That's pretty much a rough draft of what I've gone through for the last 50 some years. So I wanted to ask you about the, when you, before you were planning to take your life and you popped out of your body, that's presence there. Um, who do you think that was? Was that like a, a, a guide or a, your higher self, or have you got an inkling of who that might've been? I don't know. I think there was, I didn't care at that point because I was out of my body and it was like, I'm talking with you now. Was that real? Mm. Then when this figure put their hand out and stopped me from entering into the light, I was very disappointed, very distressed about that because I liked that place. It was gorgeous. It was like, you know, getting a first class trip for a couple bucks. And uh, so, no, I never identified who that was. I didn't have a guide. I didn't have like an angel next to me guiding me into the light. I just, I went. And it was just a thought and I was there. But what I did notice, and this took a while for me to put this together, was that when I touched the lights, it changed me. The connection with that figure who touched me and the light changed shifted my reality to a greater understanding and a, and a greater awareness of energy and compassion and love. And hence the increase of the efficacy of my healings was because I would go into people and be with them and heal them. Hmm. And I think all of that and knowing things, all of that was related to that experience of going into the lights. I'd had experiences of traveling out of body before that but they were more mundane. Just go out of the house, look around, go to this place, go to that place, meet some interesting souls. But going into the light expanded the whole game. It was, it was a shift into higher consciousness, a higher consciousness than I had ever experienced before. And therefore, it's like a domino effect. That a, it impacted my life for the rest of my life. Now I've been back many times. Now I go into the lights and it's not so dramatic. I don't have to do things to myself to get there. I don't have anyone stopping me from going there. And it's now a deeper familiarity with the light, which is spirit. The light is a high frequency spiritual expression. And I've met people that belong to my soul group, as I call it, my total self. And it all started with that, you know, the, the higher experience, the more impactful experience started when I went to the lights and I can't say I went into the light as many people with NDEs have said, you know, I went into the light. I met the family. I met my spirit guys. They showed me 
what a screw up I was in life. No, I didn't have that. I just was kicked out. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to a few people that kind of, it's almost like a threshold, you know, for them, that was as far as they were ever going to go was to be able to see, but not actually enter. And for others, you know, there's an entry point. Yeah, it's like on Star Trek and they put aliens into this room and you can see through it. It buzzes when they touch it and they can't get out. There was a, there was a barrier between me now and me there, me here and me there, I call it. Hmm. I differentiate between the me here and the me there because it's a different, it's a different expression of energy. I'm not at the point in my life and I don't, I have a feeling I'm never going to achieve it where I am in a constant state of spiritual reality. It's like a, it's like a, the ocean and the waves and it flows, it hits highs and it hits lows and it hits highs. And depending on how much wind there is or a storm affects that experience. Hmm. After your uh, first sort of encounter with the light, did that impact on how effective you were as a healer after that? Oh, absolutely. Because then I could see what I was feeling. I could see what I was experiencing. It wasn't like sticking your finger in a little vibrator and you know, you start buzzing. No, I was, I would see the energy. I would see what was happening. And that was the difference. So when I would work into a healing with someone, I, the energy would come through me out of my hands and into their body. And I could see the effect that it was having or no effect that everyone could be healed. There are restraints on the healing process. I would chalk it up to karma. It's not your time to be healed. You're not allowed to be healed or you're there to learn something. It's all about learning. When I've gone back again into the light, my, and I finally did find a spiritual guide, which I was relieved as everyone was talking about it, would look at me and say, what did you learn? At every stage in my life, when I've encountered a spiritual being, the, the spiritual being wants to know, what did you learn? And it's, there's nothing else. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no, um, accusation of any kind of behavior because spirit understands we come back and we come back and we come back and we are many things for the purpose of learning and experiencing. What did you learn? And I've talked with people that have had the NDE and they, they said that's pretty much essentially their experiences. After all of the things that they go through in their head, looking at their lives, seeing, seeing reels, seeing movies of their past lives and their current life is that the, the individual or the group wants to know, what did you learn? What are you bringing back to? So I've been reading the book, the book of Ra series of books, uh, over the last couple of months, it's, it's pretty heavy going. And I think it was in book three, they were talking about healing in particular, and that a healer really is, doesn't actually do the healing. It's, it's kind of like an interface for somebody to allow themselves to be healed, which I thought was an interesting idea. And what do you think about that? I totally agree. Well, we have an in innate core of energy that we can use to do some healing but it's the more, it's the more simple version of healing. 
I've dealt with people that have had some very bad life-threatening experiences that I could feel this spiritual energy. I like to call it spiritual energy. I, I really can't describe it as anything else, but it's energy and it comes through me moving into a person and healing them. And I take no credit or responsibility other than to be the available channel for that energy. So speaking of channel channeling, uh, have you, uh, has channeling something from the other side, either messages or impulse, is that, has that ever occurred with you? Is that something that you've explored in your life? I've gotten not messages like we're talking now. Some people say, well, you know, someone was whispering in her and telling them things. No, not like that. Mm. I just know things. I see the shape of energy and the knowing of the thing, but I'm not being talked to. I'm not having some spirit lean over my shoulder and whisper the secrets of the universe. I just know when things in my life are happening and I tend to know how things are going to turn out. It makes for some interesting betting. <laughs> you, you, um, my understanding is that there is everything's possibility. Like there isn't, uh, and there's a, there's a certain amount of momentum that gets going towards certain outcomes. And the more, uh, if we talk about sort of outcomes for humanity, that the more sort of momentum, the more people that are sort of behind that, that particular outcome, then the more likely it is for it to occur, uh, rather than it being, well, this is actually a definite set in stone thing that occurs. Is it, is that how you view it as well? My view is a little bit different. Everything in my experience comes out of imagination. If you can imagine it, you can do it because you have a shape and an energy to the imagination. And there are two things that are coupled together. And one is the imagination. You can imagine it. And the other one is the intention, a powerful intention guided by imagination will help things occur in your life that you want to occur. And, I, and another example of that is that you want more money. You got to pay the bills. You're broke. You don't know what to do. The kids are sick. You need some food. I've discovered that through intention, directed intention generated or powered by the imagination is that I can create that. And I wasn't quite sure that that was reality or my wishful thinking, but over the years has proved to be the reality. When I'm healing, I intend for healing to occur. When I want to have some success in a venture, I intend for that to occur. I might feel after I've gone through this process of imagining and intending, that it's not going to happen because it's not right to happen. The guiding principle of our experience is what, I, is what we know as karma. You're here to learn. You're not here to have a joy ride. Is it for some people, um, in terms of learning, like, like we come here to learn and I, I agree with that. And why is it that some people seem to have particularly, I don't know if brutal is the right term, but particularly difficult lives, whereas others seem to have an easier time of it. Well, look at it this way. You're an eternal spirit. You never die. You're immortal and you're a spirit, which implies not having one of these things. 
and you decide you want to be born, you want to experience something, you want to balance the scales of karma, you want to contribute to society. I mean, you want to do something. But then the deciding portion of entering into the physical life is what is going to be your skill set? What is going to be your access to energy? How difficult or easy is your life in relationship to what you need to learn? So some people, many, many people have a very difficult life, but then I step back and I look at what I see and I realize that they chose that life. They chose that level of difficulty. It's like when you go into the masters or the pros, the level of difficulty increases proportionally. You're not in the backyard playing baseball. You're in the big leagues. You are playing baseball with professionals. It demands more skill, more attention. and that's what life is. You decide to come in with a set amount of skills and energy and talent to accomplish your goals. And maybe you want to accomplish greater goals, but you have limited resources. How do you accomplish a greater goal with limited resources? You, you stress, you push, you intend to accomplish those goals. Because those goals that you want to accomplish are, are built as like a blueprint for your life. Your current life is a blueprint for accomplishing something. And maybe what you need to accomplish is to be poor or to be starving in a big city or to be a victim of violence. That's what you need. And that's kind of a brutal look and people scratch their head and say, well, how can you say that? And I said, that's simple because you're an immortal being. Your soul is forever. When you go into the higher, higher levels of consciousness, nothing can touch you because you're a creator. And then when you come to earth, you're not a creator anymore. You've just entered into the predator world. You have to survive. You have to eat. You have to find shelter. There's a lot that you have to do when you come to this earth. And it's true of every form of consciousness, whether it's an animal, or a frog or a plant, even rocks have consciousness, but they have their own battles of consciousness. It's all about the uplift of consciousness on the planet Earth to bring us to the next level of reality. We're working hand and glove with everything to accomplish that uplift of consciousness. And that's what, in my view, what we're going through now is a shifting in our realities and the uplift of consciousness. We're seeing a lot, a lot of crazy stuff. Hmm. And we're also seeing a lot of good stuff. They, you know, the, they, they, they constantly in the news is this polarization that's occurring between the people who want to be in charge and the people who want to be left alone and live their lives. Or the rights and and wrong or the righteous and the not righteous. This polarization that I'm seeing in the world these days is nothing more than man's struggle to lift consciousness above what he came into. You take a longer view, if you project yourself out, this is not surprising at all. But if everything is gauged and tested in the immediacy of your reality, your life now, it makes no sense. 
Yeah, you have to take that alternative viewpoint, isn't it? Rather than sort of saying, okay, this looking at the totality of your experiences this particular lifetime, when you look at that in the context of well, it's one of many, many lifetimes. It does it does take on a different color the experiences. That sure, you when you people that are suffering, you say, why are they suffering? And I'm not suffering. You know, it's just like you want to suffer with them or have some level of compassion in their experience, and it makes no sense. Why am I, why am I sitting good and looking good and they're looking bad and they're not in a good place? It's really, in my view, a function of what they chose to encounter when they were born, the parents, the relatives, the city, the social economic influences, the political influences. They know that this is the place they need to be to experience what they should experience, what they chose to experience. Then when you die. You're out of it. Yeah. You go into the lights, you're out of it. And then you meet all of your old buddies that have been around for hundreds of thousands of years and you hang out and have the angelic equivalent of the beer and talk about your experiences. I find the, the idea of being able to access past lives fascinating and always have, I've never actually done any sort of regression myself, but given that we come here and the, the forgetting of our previous lives seems to be kind of part of that experience. Why is it then that we do, some of us are able to recall what those past lives were? It, it sort of seems like, well, why forget if we actually can, can get access to that? Well, that, that goes back to what I had mentioned before. You come in with a blank page and everyone has a different skill set, and everyone has a different agenda and different reality. And many people come in choosing to find themselves, find their spirit, find the light. That's their struggle. That's what they chose to to have. And once again, some people come in and they've got all that part handled and they got to take care of another part, maybe a physical handicap, maybe a, a mental disability. And the, the list goes on of things that are occurring in life now that are on the outside horrendous carol but an, an interesting thing is that people with hand with that kind of challenges they call them challenges because they challenge them themselves tend to be more open more compassionate more loving than people that have everything together if I ever run across anyone who says they have it all together the radar the radar starts working overtime watch that person see what's going on there because no one has it together we build our life constructing ourselves, our bodies, our appearances, uh, how we present ourselves. It's all a construct, a belief system that we pull into ourselves ever since we're little babies, what mom and dad said and what siblings said and then what the school said and then what society says. We construct ourselves. But then when we die, when we pass, we release the constructs. And we, but what's left is the knowledge. So for those who are wanting to explore their own spiritual path or get in touch with what their spiritual path, I'm one of those people. What advice do you have for those people? Don't quit. So when you say, when you say don't quit, you mean like don't give up on life or don't give up on that, that things can actually 
improve with. Don't give up on the things that you feel you need to do. Don't give up on life because you're just going to be slammed back again. Um, many psychics have said they've talked to people that have committed suicide and the, and the, and the theme is regret. And a very light spanking by spirit. We gave you the body. We gave you the life. We gave you the opportunity to be more than your impulse. And you blew it. Now you have to go back and, it, and the game is going to be up for you. It doesn't get better. It gets worse until you reach that point where you're just going to live your life in a righteous fashion. And some people commit suicide for righteous reasons. Not everyone is, is a bad person. Many people suicide out of the righteousness of their life. And that's more understandable than someone who just thinks they're light because things are going well and they're feeling bad about themselves or they're experiencing some level of depression or sadness. Hmm. So I would say to people that want to want to experience these things and learn these things is that it starts with an interior discipline. And usually that looks like meditation. Sitting in, I, I have a meditation chair. It's a, it's a great colored lazy boy. That's where you'll pull the handle and the legs swing up. Yep. And I've been using it for years and years and years. But I would not have gone in this direction I went in the experiences I've had without that discipline of meditation. Because that's when I quiet my life. I quiet myself. I put aside my worries and concerns. And I'm available to the experience of spirit. So be available. But I would say, this is going to sound a little strange, but pulling spirit into your life is almost like a beauty contest. You want to look good. You want to be attractive. You want to be worthy. Spirit will go into the open hand. It's not going to matter on your door, usually. And say, come on, come on, wake up, wake up, come on out, you know, do your, no, it doesn't work that way. We need to draw a spirit into our life to experience these incredible spiritual things. And the denser we are, and I was one of those guys who was just very dense. It took a lot of shaping and reshaping and creating an attraction to spirit. And then one day it was a whisper in my ear. Hi. I'm here for you. I think I was 21, 22, something like that. And then that awareness just never left, even in the moments where I doubted myself and doubted everyone around me. That presence never left. So now when I travel, I call it traveling. Um, that presence is with me, kind of like a guide. I think the, the term guide is very appropriate when it's a true spiritual guide, then there's pointers on where to go. Now it, 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 you're presented with a puzzle and it's up to you to figure it out. So you look to your guide and your guide said, well, maybe you want to consider this and maybe you don't want to do that. Well, there's kind of a, a tussle that goes on and then finally you follow the guide and things work out. 
So the guys don't tell us what to do, but they do help us find the answers out for ourselves. Yeah, they provide clues. Like that clue game where there are so many people in a room and someone killed somebody and they're trying to figure out who it is and you have to collect the clues. It's your life. Your life is about collecting the clues to find the direction you need to go. And in the process, you expand your potentiality, you expand your energetic field. Kevin, so if uh, people want to ask you questions, is, uh, is that something you're able to And what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? And if you've got anything, what, what else have you got going on? People well, I have a website. It's called, it's info at not pattern, T-H-E pattern, E-A-T-T-E-R-N dot P-U-B. P-U-B is short for publisher. So info at the pattern dot P-U-B. And then I look at all of it. I look at everything that comes in. I have some other folks that work with me. They look at what's coming in. And we make an earnest effort to reply to questions. Great. And um, do you have any other programs or anything people, like if they're wanting to, you know, do something further or learn something further, have you got anything like that? No. I have a website called thepattern.pub. And the website has podcasts, it has interviews, postings, things that I've written out of the book. And from my point of view, it's interesting. Because when I was writing that book 30 years ago that I culminated in publishing the last year, a lot of the times I didn't even understand what I was writing. I do now, mostly. Was it the act of writing it out actually helped you understand it? Is that what you mean? You know, some of it was like a, a transmission and it would all, almost unconscious. I would sit down and I would write or they didn't have computers in those days. So everything was typewritten, but still now I've trained myself to be receptive to a communication that, that I get my telephone out and I go to messages, you know, dictation. I dictate. Mm. Mm. Wish I'd had that 30 years ago, man. I, th- I can't remember the name of the author. It was, uh, he wrote The War of Art. I think it was like the reverse of The Art of War, The War uh-huh. of Art. Chemsdorf, yeah. Yeah, I forget what, um, but he, he was an author who wrote this book. And, and in his view, that was what writing was. It was, it, it was really, didn't come from him. He kind of like was a conduit for what it was he, he was writing. When you're available as a conduit, it's a heck of a lot more interesting than if it's coming from here. But when it's coming in through here, it gets really interesting mm, mm. because you're really not blocking anything at that point. You're available. It just tra- transmissions or messages. They come in because you're not blocking it. Mm. But when you're sitting there with a piece of paper in front of you and you try to remember a conversation or create a dialogue or, or some kind of action, it can be very difficult. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, Stephen Pressman was the one I was thinking of. That, that was the author. Yeah. He was, he was writing about his experience of writing and how he went like 20, 30 years, a very, very successful author now, but he went through a space of 25 years where he was just hopeless. And, and finally he's yep. kind of, kind of realized, well, to stop trying to produce it, just allow it to sort of flow through. So I try to, I try to, I've always remembered that message and it's something I always, I try not to prepare too much or try to sort of control things too much. Just kind of let them, 
workflow. It doesn't always work, but yeah, I'll find it. It probably works sometimes. Oh yeah. And it's yeah. more interesting than if you were making it up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's much more enjoyable too, being, being in that yeah. sort of state of flow. Um, all right. Have you got any final message that you wanted to leave people with before we wrap our conversation up today? Yeah. Yeah. And the message that I've been developing and having these talks is that the first one is don't quit. Never, never quit in your effort to seek out spirit. And the second thing is that life is interesting. It's not boring. If you have, if you have a boring life or what you consider boring, then probably it's time to remap your life. Because unfortunately we have so many years in which to fully express ourselves and learn and move on. And then it comes to an end. So while you're here and if you have an impulse to heal or you want to become a transmedium, whatever it is that appeals to you, be available to that. Because closing that door closes off who you are. You're a spiritual being encased or inside of a physical body. This is the vehicle. This is the tool. That's all it is. You are not a nothing. You're not impervious to spiritual influence. So don't ever quit trying. You are more than who you think you are. That's another piece. You're more than who you think you are. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today, Kevin. This is really good. I feel like there was, sometimes I'll have these conversations and they're just like, they were just made just for me. But I think a lot of other people will get something out of what you've said today as well. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. I enjoy talking about these things sometimes. You created an environment for me to discuss these things, which is very safe. And I appreciate that. It's been my pleasure.